get on the ball. All right. Hop upon the ball. Here's the ball. And you're on it. I'm on it. Good. Are you standing on the ball or are you like walking upon the ball like a circus performer? I'm like a seal. I'm sort of like leaning on the you're ball. You're under the ball. I'm leaning on the ball with my top half, you know, like my feet are Is on that the- what seals do? I always thought seals like got the ball up on their snout. Seals can do whatever they want, man. They're just... <laughs> versatile creatures seals can do whatever they want man <laughs> free to free to roam i don't know <laughs> well, okay seals can do whatever they, they want do whatever man. they want that's right quote brian goulet hashtag freedom seals if you say so <laughs> and you and your freedom seals <laughs> all right hey everybody it is episode 28 of the goulet pencast i forgot how to do this whole intro thing uh fountain pens are still a thing where we are i am brian goulet I am Drew Brown. And I can't read my own script. We are here from Goulet Pens, though, to deliver this casual and informal, tangential and extraneous, superfluous and extemporaneous fountain pen show, where we talk about what's going on at Goulet Pen Company and in our fountain pen lives. In today's show, once we remember how to do this, we're going to talk about lots of nitty-gritty pen talk about feeds and ultrasonic cleaners and nibs and all kinds of other little parts, as well as all the shenanigans that we've been up to in the last three weeks, and there have been plenty. So, as we ease into things, we'll start off with our first segment of feedback. And Drew, we got some, That's right. we got some feedback. You want to kick us we off? We got a little bit of feedback, yeah. yeah. Um, let me just say that we're thrilled to be back. Thank you so much for uh, waiting on us for the last couple of weeks. We didn't intend to be out as long as we did, but we were. And thank you for sticking with us. We're happy to be back. Hopefully you're happy to be back here as well joining us. Um, so last time we spoke, Brian, we approached the topic of the ran- seemingly random metal star attached to people's houses for decoration purposes yes and we got a ton of feedback about this mystery star so the overwhelming feedback was in regards to it originating in the lone star state of texas we had folks saying that hey yes it's been a thing here in texas for 40 years uh but it definitely has not stayed in texas so whether or not um, Texas natives or, you know, people with Texas lineage have decided to adorn their homes with it across the United States. We won't know, but it definitely has been confirmed in the YouTube comment section that these stars on people's houses are up in Washington state, all the way up in Maine, and of course, all over Texas as well. Hmm. And there were also a few comments about how, uh, Historically, um, there were uh, these things called barn stars, which were shaped like stars that were technically a hex to bring good luck that the uh, Pennsylvania Dutch and uh, potentially Amish folks did back in the day. So maybe that is where it originated. Some folks thought that Hmm. it was to honor veterans or uh, denote former or current military service or support. But either way, definitely... A big Texas thing, and definitely everywhere now. Okay. And what's interesting is, like, people are like, oh, yeah, we have that, and it means this. And other people are like, no, we have it, and it means this. It's like, yeah, oh, so nobody really knows, but everybody thinks that they understand what it's about. So it's one of these, yeah. like, kind of randomly adopted, multi-meaning kind of things. So interesting. Yep. Oh. It's everywhere, though. All right. That's for sure. Good stuff. Uh, well, we also got from Funhouse RX. Asked, what is Goulet cranking up with that sound system? I'm very curious. So I mentioned that 
I'm kind of going back to my high school and college roots with my car audio stuff. I don't know, man. I just, I keep, it's not really going down a new rabbit hole. It's sort of revisiting an old rabbit hole, I guess. So I'm like, I'm very familiar with a lot of this stuff, but it's been a while since I've looked into it. So it's kind of fun to revisit, you know, not like, not like, unlike you drew with like the, the videos from the eighties and stuff like that. Like these are all movies you've seen. You're just like rediscovering them. That's sort of, that's sort of what I'm doing. Um, So I read this question as like, what is my sound system turning out to be? And Drew read it as, what kind of music am I listening to? Um, both of which are kind of boring and, and random. So I can get into as much or as little of that as we want. Maybe I'll save some of the the details of the system for later in the pencast so that the people that truly have gotten involved in something more productive and are just listening to us in the background can just kind of have that on and sort of have pay attention to it. Or if you're really interested in it, it'll make you want to listen to the rest of it. I don't know. Um, But as far as like the actual music that I listen to, uh, half the time I'm driving my kids around and I'm listening to basically video game music because Joseph wants to listen to basically that. And Ellie pretty much too. Ellie almost, she used to exclusively pretty much listen to kids bop, which is like kids singing pop songs, which is also kind of weird because some of the lyrics I'm like, hmm. You know, it's not like explicit lyrics, but it's definitely suggestive. And I'm like, just hearing kids singing about being in relationships and stuff like that just feels a little weird, but you know, she loves it and so be it. Um, And then yeah, Joseph exclusively listens to Nintendo and Sonic and Kirby theme songs basically, which is cool because it's pretty decent music. Not a lot lot of bass in there though. Mm, Not most of them. Um, yeah, so with me, I'm kind of all over the map. My tastes have always been very eclectic, but mostly with the new sound system complete, I just listen to bass, just whatever has a lot of loud bass. So I'm pretty much revisiting a lot of my old classics, um, you know, like hip hop type stuff and very bassy, some electronic stuff, you know, random things. Um, what, what, what is, what is the appeal of that for you? For me, it just vibrates my body and it but why 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 does why is that how is that (laughs) how is that enjoyable i don't know man it just is like it just feels really cool (laughs) i don't know what to say okay okay (laughs) i mean i don't know yeah and like when you're listening to like rock music and stuff like that and like the the double bass drum is just like and it like it's like hitting in your chest it's 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 an experience you actually feel the music so i don't know it's pretty cool but like i talked to rachel about it for four seconds and she rolls her eyes and is not interested i don't know if she's ever been less interested in something else that i've done it's very the puzzles too she's not super into <laughs> she's uh, well yeah the, the the arbor the tree work stuff yeah she's not interested in any of that either but she's not interested in most of the stuff i'm interested in now that i talk about it um anyway <laughs> So there you go. My my musical tastes are all over the place. And it's, uh, you know, I have a few favorites, but I'm, I'm still searching, still finding. So if you have any suggestions, let me know in the comments. Good. Something that'll, something that'll yeah. punch him in the chest. Good bass, bassy music. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's talk about some new stuff, shall we? Um, to be quite honest with you, this is kind of our slower time because right around the holidays, you know, a lot of our suppliers are taking time off. Most of the manufacturers have you know, released things for the holiday season and they're kind of taking a break. So we don't have a whole ton of new products. 
we have some that are kind of on the horizon, but we'll be able to talk about those in future weeks. You know, I think we all need to get our credit card bills and recover from them from the holidays before we get amped up about new stuff. But um, we have some new videos and stuff that we've done, which were kind of fun. So Drew and I um, recorded uh, some and published them, you know, last week on the top pens of 2021, as well as the top inks of 2021. And we deviated a bit from the past where we have not wanted to rank anything and we just leaned hard into it and we ranked things. So that was kind of fun. Of course, it's all made up anyway, but um, it was pretty fun. And uh, one little fun fact, we did get a number of comments about the hottest pens of 2021 and how how animated that I seemed to be in that one, which we have had comments on in this pen cast before where I thought that they were commenting on Drew's faces, but it was actually mine. Um, part of the reason why I'm so overly animated is because we actually recorded at least the first half of that one twice because Drew had a technical issue and basically had no no audio um, and, and no video too. I think we had issues with both things. So basically we, could, yeah. we couldn't use any of his footage. So we had to record the entire thing again. And so I was already familiar with everything Drew was going to say. So I was able to have very timely reactions to everything that he was saying. And so that was kind of fun. Plus, I was just in a punchy mood and I was wearing sweaters and I was really hot, um, <laughs> which I'm wearing a sweater today with a long sleeve shirt underneath. Kind of a bold move, but there's actively like snow and ice on the ground. So I'm thinking uh, maybe I'll be OK today, but but we'll see. Um, and then another fun video that we got published this week, a shorty, uh, are fountain pens easy to use? Drew did a great job with this one, gotta say. So we're trying to produce some that are not like super, super deep technical fountain pen things, but are a little broader so that it can like welcome newer people, especially on YouTube, into the fold. Um, so we're, we're trying out some of those videos and that this was one of those. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, you know, something that maybe you can share with anybody that is kind of newer to pens and uh, it's kind of fun. So yeah. That's what I got to say. How about you, Drew? Yeah. Um, well, as some of our listeners, viewers know, we have a Teespring, or actually Spring.com now, formerly Teespring. It's now just Spring. Um, we have a shop that has some T-shirts and some stickers on it that uh, isn't sold through our store, so you kind of have to go through a separate thing. And honestly, there are very few pieces of merch on that website that we have actually got in our hands but um, it's definitely a thing and we have a um, turkey hammock pencast sticker for anybody who knows where that bizarre inside joke came from and we will be adding two more stickers to the store this week one is a uh, um, new pencast logo or at least a draft proposed pencast logo we haven't really done anything with it but it'll be a sticker at least for the time being Unless we figure out we like something else better. But um, we will be adding that to the store. And then we will be also be adding a Barney the Barnacle sticker to the store. So if you've been listening to us for a little while, you no doubt have heard us reference the crusty ink or the ink crustaceans that appear on your nib if you're using like a brownish, orangey, reddy color usually. And uh, ink crustaceans kind of gave way to Brian calling it an ink barnacle, and then he called it Barney. So then we've just been referring to ink crust as Barney the Barnacle. And um, our uh, friend, Caitlin Swigart, who has uh, written into the show a couple times now, drafted up a uh, little cute design that I was like, hey, we could make a sticker out of this. So yeah. 
thank you, Caitlin, for that. Um, and uh, a few edits later, and it's available to purchase now and adorn your water bottle or laptop, whatever, yeah, wherever you think barnacles need to be. So that's up there. And if you want it, you can get it. And it's probably one of the cutest versions of a barnacle that you could make because they're actually yeah. quite ugly in real life. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so we, we did the best of what we could, but it's still kind of ugly looking. But it's a cute kind of ugly. I don't know. Yeah. like a, It's a barnacle. Like a pug or a chihuahua, you know? It's like a cute <laughs> ugly, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly true. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. All right. We have some Q&A for you all. And we said, you know what? We could try to shoot a shorter pen cast. But I'm sure y'all have missed us the last couple of weeks, so we're just going to do a whole bunch. So we're going to do a bunch of questions and not really hold back. And then we have a lot of personal stuff to talk about, too. So we're probably going to go long like we always do. But we're not even going to try to shorten it because we always say that we're going to try and then we don't at all. So who knows what's going to happen today. But we'll start off with some Q&A. And Drew's got the first couple of questions, I guess, similarly themed. Yeah, yeah. These were kind of uh, these questions teamed up a little bit. So, um, uh a couple of these are all kind of long form questions too mm. so our answers will uh, be on brand maybe maybe the um, longer the question the shorter the answer no that's not oh i'm sure that'll not be the how case it works with me no way all right so we've got a little bit of a two parter here and um, i'll combine them both so the first question is from eric potential question for future pencast are the feed ink channels the same or different widths as they come out of the factory across the spectrum from extra fine to stub nibs? I'm wondering whether or not the tip nib width, extra fine to stub, is the only factor in the line width that a pen will put down, or whether the feed contributes through optimized channel width as it might have implications if you are trying to swap one from nib to tip while another keeping the same feed. Basically, he's wondering, does the ink channel in the feed differ from nib does size it differ to nib and size. does it if it differ does it does it matter like how much does that play into the line width, right right and then in addition to that zahir mm. asks us could you please advise how can i can understand my twisby eco whether or not it has a extra fine fine medium nib my eco has a b written inside the feed and not the nib what does it mean hmm so how about that so why why is there a b on his feed brian and does the ink channel feed mat- differ from nib to nib Okay, we have a few things to talk about here, don't we? Um, Feed us, Brian. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, I'll start out with Eric's question at the beginning here. Um, The feed channels, and do they differ, and does that matter? Uh, Like with most fountain pen things, the answer is it depends. Um, So Twisby, we know, has told us that they do use feeds with different ink channel widths, dimensions, whatever you want to call it. I don't know if it's a width thing or a depth thing, but basically they have different feeds with different degrees of flow that will accommodate thinner or broader nibs. Now, what I don't know is exactly how many feeds they have. Is it a different feed for every nib size? I don't think so. If I remember correctly and I did not super validate this but this is my understanding from several years ago of a conversation i had uh with philip from twisby i think i think there's two i think there's one for extra fine and fines and there's one for medium and above but this was a while ago maybe they've changed it maybe i was just just wrong and misunderstood i don't know Um, but i do know that twisby has said that they have different 
feed flow basically for broader and finer nibs. Now, the thing that's a little confusing is you don't exactly know which is which. So I get where Zaheer is going for is, is there some kind of notation on the feed that says if the company does distinguish it, specifically asking here about Twisby, right? So we know Twisby distinguishes between some of their nibs, how the feeds match up. Zaheer is asking, is, it, is there like a, a feed size indicator just like there is on a nib? Like you can tell what nib you know, size it is by what's indicated on it. Is it the same way with these feeds? Um, so it seemed like maybe because the first couple of pens that I checked, I have a lot of broads. I have a lot of broad Twisbees because those are generally the least popular. And so that's usually the one I keep for myself because everybody else wants the other nib sizes. And I'm like, well, I don't They're really, usually I don't Rachel's favorite too, right? Yeah, it is Rachel's favorite as well. So that's a lot of what we have around the Goulet house here is a lot of broad Twisbees, but I have some other ones too. So there were some of the broad Twisbees that I have that have a feed that has a B stamped in it. And it's like, oh, is that B for broad? And then I found one that has a number one on it and one that has a number two, another one was blank and another one had an A. So I was like, what is going on? And it was across mm. different models, different nib sizes. So I think that it doesn't actually match up like you would have on a nib. So if you have a broad nib, it's gonna have a B on it, right? So you're gonna be able to know that that's what nib size is. I don't think it's that way with feeds. If a company distinguishes at all, I don't think they're having a, a an end user kind of notifiable way to tell. And Philip even told me on the phone, like when you are looking at these feeds, the ones that are maybe designed for an extra fine versus a you know broader, you can't actually look at the feed. Even if you look at the channel, even like under a microscope with the naked eye, it's really, really hard to tell the difference because it's such a minimal difference in flow that uh, you really can't even see it very well with the naked eye. So um, if you even know what you're looking for. So I, I can't even like pick up a feed and tell you what it's intended for. Um, now, does that even matter, honestly? I mean, I trust that Twisby has done some tests and I don't think that they would do it if it didn't matter at all. Uh, does it matter with all brands and all scenarios? I would say probably not as much as you might think. Um, so Drew, you and I know with some other brands, when we've had, you know, spare nibs, spare feeds, things like that, that we've either sold or gotten, you know, as a supply for replacement under various scenarios, there has been basically one stock feed that services a whole range of different nibs. That's yeah. more common, I would say. Um, and if there are other brands that are doing feeds that are specifically catered to given nib sizes it is not known to us or communicated to us or notated in any way on the feed other than twisby i don't have specific knowledge that they are you know unique to every pen now aurora on their pens their gold nib pens they actually have the feed stamped with the nib size instead of the nib so i don't know if the feed is different but we know that the feed is paired up to that nib and as a nib unit it is then notated on the feed but i don't know if that means that that feed is any different than you know if you have a broad aurora 14 karat nib could you put that feed on an extra fine and would it write wetter or something i don't really know so we haven't fully tested it and stuff like that but um so basically i think the the advantage to doing the whole 
different feed channel thing. <clears throat> it's sort of like um, the feed is your like supply, right? So you think about like, I don't know, I'm thinking of, of flow, like water, because ink is basically water, right? So you're dealing with flow. Your, your pipes in your house, right, are flowing water. At least in America, your typical water flow is about five gallons a minute, right? Well, when you take a shower or you wash your hands, you're not necessarily flowing five gallons a minute of water out of there, right? It's going to be restricted at whatever the faucet or whatever the pipe, you know, whatever, wherever it is that you're demanding the water, that's how much is flowing. But there is five gallons per minute available. So when you think of the feed and how much can flow through that feed, you can't flow any more than that feed is physically capable of funneling through there. So the capillary action will draw it in. So if you have something like a flex nib or something like a really, really broad, really wet nib that's demanding a lot of ink flow, you need to have a really wide ink channel so that you have that flow available. But if you have that flow available, does that mean that it's forcing more ink through if you have a finer nib or a tighter, you know, tines or something like that? I don't necessarily think so. I think it's more just that that ink is available and there and ready for you. So in terms of how much having one universal feed actually matters, as long as it's, you know, basically wide enough and wet enough to accommodate the most demanding ink situations, I think that that is really what matters the most. And then it's the really the, the tines, the spacing of the tines, the grind and the alignment of the nib, that's really what controls it more. Just like your faucet, your sink faucet, the faucet itself is gonna restrict how much water is actually coming through there. There's more in the pipe that's available, but it doesn't mean that there's five gallons a minute dumping out of your sink faucet, right? So I think that's more or less, it's different because your pipes are pressurized and ink is just flowing through with capillary action. So it's maybe not the exact analogy, but you get the general idea. I think if you had too restricted of an ink flow, then when you write with something that, you know, is demanding more, you're going to end up with skipping and railroading and these types of things. Um, as you would know, if you've tried to use a flex nib on a feed that is just not quite able to keep up with it, you need to use a wetter flowing ink to maybe make up for that a little bit. Um, but you basically need a wet feed. That's why if you look at the Noodler's Ebonite feeds, they've got a fat channel. I mean, you can just like drive a truck through that thing because it demands a ton of ink, you know, but you can put a number six nib and use that feed. And it's not like it's still dumping out the same amount of ink. It's more restricted. So you see where I'm getting with that. Um, I think probably with Twisby, where they're getting at with it, if you have a wider ink channel in your feed and it has a lot of ink that's available and you have a really fine nib, then it's not necessarily that it's going to like force that ink through because it's again, it's, it's more just like drawing it through naturally and then the, the nib itself is going to restrict that. But I, I imagine probably when you have a pen like a Twisby that has a very large ink capacity, perhaps there is more of a situation where you can end up with burping or gushing or these types of reactions when there's a very large reservoir for ink, especially when you get down to very little ink and there's a lot of air in that pen. If you have a really wide ink channel, there's more opportunity for things to kind of burp and gush out of there if you have too much ink that's kind of just like sitting there at the ready saturated in that feed 
not in all situations, but it could be the kind of thing where maybe that's why they did it. But I don't think it's because like it's massively performing different because other brands I know, like Lamy with their steel nibs, I think they're all the same. You know, I don't think other brands are doing it and it's not like it's a night and day difference across all pens. I think it's a proactive thing that Twisby does, especially because they have those higher ink capacity pens, which you don't have on most other pens that would be comparable to a Twisby. Most of them are gonna be cartridge converter, smaller ink volume, and you're not gonna have those burping issues. So I think there's some additional things that, that Twisby's done there. Um, but ultimately, if you have a feed that has a fin system, and we have a question about this later, so I'm planting a little thread here. But if you have a feed that has fins in it that has kind of a reservoir of ink that it holds, then the actual volume of the ink chamber or the ink channel coming from the ink chamber is a little less critical because then unless you're like maximally demanding, you know, ink all day long from that pen, because it's going to hold a lot of ink right in those fins, right up underneath the nib. And then when you have those moments where you're writing with more pressure or more speed or whatever, that's really where the ink is going to draw from. It doesn't come all the way back from the ink chamber. So as long as it's flowing enough to be able to fill up the reservoir there, and then you're able to write and it's generally able to keep up, you're gonna be just fine. And I think as long as the balance between the air that's able to come in to the feed through the filler hole and the ink channel that the ink is traveling down, as long as those two are matched, you're gonna be generally okay. As far as how wide of a range you have, depending on the different nib size, I don't know, there's probably some science to it that's just beyond my understanding and beyond, frankly, what any manufacturer has shared with us. Um, but I think the main takeaway as a pen user is basically it doesn't really matter and shouldn't make any like buying decision for you one way or another of who matches their feeds to nibs and blah, blah, blah. Just trust that like, that's what they do. That's their job. It's their job to figure out all the physics behind how that stuff works and it should just work. And then you should write with it. And if you enjoy it, then, then who cares? But one caveat, if you're going to be swapping your nibs, right? As a general rule, it's not a bad idea to keep your feed paired with the given nib, especially with a Twisby, but maybe just as a general rule, it's a pretty good practice you know, to do it anyway. Just keep the feed and the nib together. If you're, you know, I'm talking physically pulling the nib and feed out like a Twisby Eco, for example. You know, if you have an Eco, there is no swappable nib unit because it's all attached to the pen. So if you're gonna be pulling the nib and feed out, just take the whole thing and pair it together and swap. If you swap it from another Eco, just keep those paired together and then you don't have to worry about it. But if you mix them up and get them all mixed up, I don't know that you'd really be able to tell the difference between them. See, I have this Eco here. This is the Eco J. This is a pretty newer one. There is no notation of any letter, number, or anything on this one. But this, uh, let's see here, this Navy 580 ALR, what does it say? No notation on that one at all. So maybe it's a, maybe it's like it's, it's a newer thing. I don't know. It's probably a batch thing, you know, honestly. Oh, okay. So this Prussian blue, this is a number two on it. Don't know why. Go figure. But anyway, and, and you found you found these across different nib sizes as well. So it's not like the B's were broads and the ones were fine or anything like no, that. It was different. No pattern at all. Not only different like tip sizes, but different whole nib sizes. You know, like the, this this uh, Vac Seven Hundred Iris. This is uh, this has a number one on the back of its feed, and it's an entirely different feed than the other yeah. pens because the nib is a completely actual different size. Mm -hmm. But you know, as I'm looking across different pens, the Five Eighty is a different nib than the Eco as well. 
This one has a one on the back of its feed, this ALR. Yeah. And you'll find um, other feeds made by other manufacturers that have random numbers on them as well. Mm -hmm. It's not, not a super uncommon thing. Yeah. And it, like Brian said, it's probably a batch related yeah. thing. Yeah. But definitely, I don't know any brand other than Aurora where you can look at the feed and anything that's noted on it and tell anything about its nib size. So yeah. basically, you need to look at the nib itself because it will have some indication on it. Again, Aurora being the exception. Whew, wow, that was really boring, sorry. I was like boring myself, but I was just, I still had more things to say about it. So there you go. Was that enough, Drew? Did you? I, I, I still do think that even with Twisby's very affordable price range, they're going an extra mile, at least in some cases, to oh, yeah. you know pair their feeds with their their feeds with their nibs i think that's really unique and there might be others that mm -hmm. do it but we know twisby does it in some cases at least and i think that's really cool to know twisby basically doesn't do anything by accident they are some of the most intentional designers i've ever seen and that continues to blow my mind i mean it would blow my mind if any manufacturer had that level of intentionality but it blows my mind even further because mm -hmm. of how affordable these pens continue to be yeah very crazy. Very special company. Yeah. All right. Woo. Let me recover here. I'm going to let Drew answer some. Yeah, give me one. All right. This question is from James. What are some of the best pens for shimmering inks, both in terms of getting the ink to look its best on paper and for pen maintenance? We'll start with that, and then we have another kind of follow-up question, but we'll stick with that okay. for now. <clears throat> All right. <coughs> Pardon me, James. James. For Shimmer Ink, I would pick something that disassembles easily. Uh, going back to what Brian said about like a broad Twisby, that is, if that does indeed have a wider ink channel and has the the, the nozzle, uh, the faucet of the pen is going to be a broad, so you're going to get more flow. That Shimmer Ink is going to move faster. It's going to stay working, stay moving. It's not going to have as much time to kind of stagnate and settle. And with a Twisby it's clear and generally the grip section is also clear mm -hmm. so you're going to notice when your shimmering particles do begin to settle and if you see you know things beginning to you know collect you can give it a little bit of a twist in your hand nothing too vicious because you don't want ink splattering everywhere but you can see it and you know okay it's time for me to agitate the shimmer a little bit because boom it's right there in front of my face all right uh, the one downside hey. is that yep uh, sorry to stop you there your personal opinion how do you feel about clear grips? Do you like when you can see all the stuff that's built up in there? Because you're like, oh, I can clean that out. I know it's really good. But then you see it in there and you feel like you have to clean it. Even if it's not a flow issue or anything, you're like, I have to thoroughly <laughs> clean this thing every time I use it. That how, is a great question. How do you feel about and that? I, I like them if I can clean them out. Now, if we're talking Pilot Custom 74, I have no patience for that baloney. That is unacceptable and don't even, pen, I don't even want to talk that, that about it That pen trolls anymore. you. It's like, no, I have a secret hidden layer that you can't mm -mm. get to that'll soak up ink yeah. and never let it go. And no no offense to the Custom 74, it's a great pen. And if if like, you know, one of my favorites, the E95S, if that had a clear grip section, I would hate it because I know there's lots of ink in here that I can't see because you can't disassemble the feed oh, out of this one. So there's got to be a so, lot of junk up in there. I, I know there's some stuff. Thing. Oh yeah. But but you know what? 
hey, it's out of sight, out of mind. It doesn't matter. So I don't want to see it. I don't care if it's there. I don't want to see it. But with the Twisby, you can generally, you can completely disassemble those, which is why I would say consider a Twisby for shimmer ink, because not only can you see it, but you can disassemble it really easily. Twisbys are meant to be disassembled. However, the feed is a little fragile. We talked about fins um, earlier, and the fins on the Twisby can collapse like a stack of dominoes if you are a little bit mm, too, if your approach is not measured, I guess. Uh, it's recommended mm. that you grip the nib from the nib and feed from the side and kind of gently wiggle those out or else your feeds are going your fins are going to collapse so you don't want to do that but still i maintain it's a good choice apart from twisby you can also very easily disassemble pens from monteverde conklin they use pretty stock nib and feed situations mm-hmm. that are really easy to disassemble and clean so those are a good bet yeah. as well second question all right this is from john s i really enjoy the pen cast Love the variety of topics on and off fountain pens. There's plenty of both of those. Here's a potential rabbit hole question on using a syringe to fill shimmering inks. Can you discuss which brands have finer or larger shimmering particulates? And since syringe needles come in different gauges, 14, 16, 18, etc., which gauge do you recommend? I have a great (laughs) answer about which gauge whatever one we sell because we only sell one it doesn't matter the gauges don't matter when you're talking about shimmer particles you're talking about the tiniest little teeny weeny little yeah. thing it doesn't matter like no no particle is large enough to have it, it, it be obstructed in any way based on you know the gauge of your I'm trying uh, to blunt tip syringe it has been many years since we have tested all these different gauge needles for our ink syringes I want to say ours are 18 gauge, 18 or 20. I can't remember. The bigger the the bigger the gauge, the smaller the the hole, the opening. So like 14 gauge would be a much wider needle needle than an 18 gauge, etc. But bottom line is, any gauge needle that you would use is gonna be wider than the ink channel that the ink is flowing through. So no needle will impede the whatever particulate and if it is i mean there there might be some sort of like it's a problem yeah there might be some sort of medical needle that we don't know about that could potentially be smaller than an ink channel but Mm, i've never seen one and maybe but it would take you like a half an hour to fill your pen if it was that yeah i mean you think about it you think about it blood is probably thicker than most of the inks that we sell so that i don't know but you know, I, w- I don't know. It, I think they would all be pretty fine, John. <laughs> so um, I will say that. Um, and then uh, regarding which brands have a finer, larger shimmering particulates, this information has not been disclosed to us. So we yeah. can't say for sure, okay, well, here's, you know, Diatriment just uses this diameter. Like, And honestly, even then, it would differ from ink to ink. So um, I will just say that from my personal Experience. I have found that um, they kind of they do fall in a little bit of an order for me as far as how their maintenance is achieved. So I will say that again, based on my personal experience, Diamine and Robert Oster have a ton of shimmer. Um, I can't say for sure whether or not the diameter of the shimmer is any larger, but they do have a ton of it, and it settles fairly fast. Very, very big on the shimmer scale, like mm. those inks, poof, like shimmer tastic and like there were all the shimmer there but yeah 
they will settle. So noticeably a ton of shimmer in those. No one's going to dispute that. Mm-hmm. Um, Private Reserve, I put right under there. They have a ton of shimmer, but the shimmer is very dusty. It is less floaty and sparkly, and more of like a more of a like a shimmer dust, and mm. it stays right on top. Very very smudgy, but looks really really awesome. It looks unlike any other shimmering ink. So, I would say that you know I'm pretty sure that the DAC, the actual size of their shimmer is finer. But again, it must just- be yeah. I think if it's like if you're if you're shaking, granted the volume of it can make a difference, but if it's like settles down really quickly in the ink and it's like super visible and you can see that it's like almost kind of chunky looking i'm thinking like not quite like banu glitter pen yeah like not like quite that chunky but like (laughs) sort of like that as opposed to you know like a diamond cast resin right which is gonna be super super fine yeah very and i would say that that's the case yeah yeah, and I would say that that's the case with the private reserve ink. It's more of a powdery shimmer yeah. than a and glittery the, shimmer. The Urban too, the 1670s, the um, uh, 1780 or 90? Shoot, what number is it? Oh, my gosh. I think 1780. 1780. I'm forgetting my numbers. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But the special Urban inks, those to me are finer as well. So like Drew said, it's going to it's gonna have more of a, almost more of like a sheen-like quality to it on the page because it's so fine. Whereas, you know, it's going to just, it's going to look very noticeably chunky glitter on the paper when you have the other ones that Drew mentioned, the Shimmertastic and, and the like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And below... Private Reserve, I would put Diatramentus. So they also have shimmering inks. And um, I would say that they represent kind of like the mid-level of shimmeriness in terms of actual display mm. on the page and maintenance. They're they're kind of the middle of the road. A little bit easier to maintain than the other ones I mentioned. Yeah. And then like Brian said, the um, Jacques Urban inks are probably the easiest to maintain in my experience. Mm-hmm. They don't go, oh, they don't overload the shimmer in those yeah. inks. They, they, there's enough to see but not so much that if you're a little shy about trying shimmer because you don't want it to clog up your pen or get gunky. I mean, like, it's still going to be higher maintenance than a ink without shimmer for me, for sure. But it's going to be less maintenance than, you know, something like Robert Oster or Diamine. Yeah. So if you are curious about it, start with Jockerbond, like a lot of great mm-hmm. colors and easier to maintain. Now, again. In my experience, you might have a different experience than mine. Pen, feed, ink, all all these variables come into play and could change your experience. But this is what I think. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Drew. Yeah. All right. Now on to the next one. Yeah, we got another beefy one here, Brian. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry in advance. Another super boring answer. (laughs) It's okay. Uh, Michael says... Brian and Drew often talk about cleaning pens, but how about using an ultrasonic cleaner? Can that harm some kinds of pens? Mine has removed some old resistant ink very well. Well, that's good, Michael. I'm glad good. that, that that's works for you. what it's supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is something that people ask about. They've been asking about it for a long time. In fact, I bought our first company, whatever, ultrasonic cleaner, <laughs> I don't know. I think before you were on board, Drew, like over it, a decade. It was, yeah, it was here. It was here. In, it was in your garage when yeah, I started. Because it was just like one of those things that people were like, oh, yeah, you should totally do this. I was um, the first employee. Yeah. So, I mean, especially before, because we came along, there was online pen shopping a little bit, but it was still very much like a pen show and brick and mortar centric kind of experience. A lot of people had, had vintage pens and stuff like that. So, the ultrasonic thing was way more of a given 
uh, back when we first kind of came onto the scene. And so a lot of people were asking about it. So um, I did get to experience it a bit for myself and I've talked to a bunch of people over the years that have used them, talked to pen restorers and nibmeisters and stuff like that. Um, so I would say, well, first I'll explain what they even are, right? So um, an ultrasonic cleaner, it's probably most familiar to people because it's used for cleaning jewelry. So if you go to a jeweler and you want to get your ring cleaned, whatever ring or thing cleaned, they're gonna clean it in an ultrasonic cleaner. Um, so they, you know, put it in this bath, flip some switch, it makes like a buzzing sound. That is an ultrasonic cleaner. Um, and you can buy these things to use personally, not just for pens, but you can clean your jewelry, you can clean all kinds of random things with it. So I'll explain sort of what it is and how it works. So ultrasonic cleaning in general, it's mostly kind of like an, an industrial tool. Like it's used for um, like cleaning medical devices and surgical tools. They use it for automotive and like aerospace parts. They clean electronic parts in the manufacturing process and, and things like that. Um, it's not necessarily something that like most people have around their homes, though they'd make, you know, small ones that are kind of made for home use. So um, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're cleaners that use high frequency sound waves transmitted through a liquid bath to clean whatever parts are immersed in the solution in that bath. So you're putting an object in a bath and it's actually creating sound waves in the, the fluid. So it's a little weird, right? So these sound waves are usually around 40 kilohertz, if that matters to you. And what they Thank do- Thank you, I was, I was about to ask. I know. And they agitate the water or whatever cleaning solution that these things are, um, causing the cavitation of solution molecules. And I had to look that up because I did mm -hmm. not know what that meant. Basically, it's the implosion of microscopic bubbles that dislodge very tightly adhered contaminants. So if you have a really old pen and it's all crustified and there's just crust up in places and you can't do it, you're trying to flush it, you're trying to soak it, it's just not getting there. Barnacles everywhere. This will, it sounds like science fiction-y, yeah. But it basically creates microscopic bubbles that when they, when the bubbles implode, the, the, like the vacuum pressure from these bubbles will actually help to dislodge things off the surfaces of whatever is in this bath. Isn't that crazy sounding? They should call it the imploding bubble machine. I think that would sound cooler, but ultrasonic does sound pretty cool. It does. They both um, sound pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah. in very few situations in regular pen use, is this absolutely necessary? Because basically you're not getting your pen so nasty and crusted up that you need to go to that level. The big exception being if you're into vintage pens or restoring pens, you know, you have a pen from your you know, family member or friend or whoever, or you bought at an antique store and it's evident that this thing was inked up 25 years ago and just left there. You might have some, some stuff in there, right? So that's where you would want to, you know, maybe go to using this thing. But for the average person, especially if you're newer into pens and you're buying all your pens new, you're using them, even if you neglect them, most of the time you can soak them or clean them with a pen flush and not have to go as far as using an ultrasonic cleaner and you'll be just fine. Um, however, of course you can use an ultrasonic cleaner if you wanna expedite the process for cleaning up some of your old crusty pens, um, or certainly like I mentioned, if you're getting into restoring older stuff. Um, but I think that uh, it's definitely not like as much of a given that you have to get this, especially cause they end up being like 50 to a hundred bucks, you know? So it's like, it's not a no brainer to get this tool. 
Um, but if you get in, you have a very extensive collection and you're really, really getting into it, maybe it's kind of worth it. Or you get together with your like local pen friends and one of you goes in on it. And every now and then when you need to, you know, clean one of these things, somebody in your little group has one, right? Or if you have a local club or something, y'all can get on it, go in on it, whatever. Um, uh, as far as whether it'll like do unintentional things. So the, the, the drawback to using an ultrasonic cleaner is you can't really discriminate what parts of the pen that you're cleaning. Basically you have to put it in the bath and whatever is in the bath is getting cleaned all the same. So along the lines of say vintage pens, if you have vintage pens and you've got, you know, a mixture of different materials happening in there, you got some old ink, but also you've got an old ink sack or something like that it's very possible that when you go that thing in the bath, it's possible that if that ink sack was not in the best of condition, that that ultrasonic cleaner could essentially dislodge that ink sack or tear the glue apart or tear the sack apart if it's, you know, in any sort of a fragile state. So you're not able to like just clean out the grip of the pen, on, especially if some of these older pens, if they don't fully disassemble, you know, you, you either need to if you're in like a restoring kind of situation, you need to really kind of know what you're doing and know what can be soaked and what can't and so on. And that's where it gets to a level of expertise and beyond my knowledge, to be honest with you. Um, but basically you can, you can unintentionally <laughs> clean or dislodge some things that you don't mean to, um, or what can happen. I'm thinking a more practical, you know, kind of a thing. Say you have, you know, a, a cap like a Twisby cap, right? Or a Pilot Custom 74 or something where it's got an insert and say you got, dried ink that's kind of like up around the lip of that insert or inside the cap insert and you throw this whole cap in an ultrasonic cleaner what's going to happen is that water is going to work its way behind that insert and you're going to end up with inky water all up and behind that cap insert and you can't you got to take out that insert and you got to really get in there and kind of clean it out so it's not like you just throw it in your ultrasonic cleaner you pull it out and everything looks perfect that ultrasonic cleaner it's going to get in everywhere and get water everywhere so it's not necessarily the end-all be-all solution if you have some of that honestly sometimes taking like a wet cotton swab and kind of being a little more precision about it and just working at the areas where you've got some of that buildup, that can sometimes be a more effective way to clean it unless you're trying to just like go nuclear on it. That's, that's kind of what it is. The ultrasonic cleaner is kind of like your nuclear option for pen cleaning. So it's even talking to antique pen restorers and nibmeisters and stuff like that. That's pretty much when they use ultrasonic cleaners is like the nuclear option. It's like, well, I've tried everything else and it's not working or they have a lot of experience and they can just tell this thing is going to be a mess and I'm going to have to do a full restoration on it anyway. Let me dump it in to a full ultrasonic bath with pen flush basically and just go nuts on it for several hours and that's certainly going to dislodge whatever's in there and maybe some other things but i know when i'm gonna go i'm gonna have to go fix those things anyway so that's sort of when they do it but for regular pen use on modern pens you'll be just fine if you don't have an ultrasonic cleaner in fact the one that we have at the office i don't know that we hardly ever use it because Very rarely. because honestly just a regular cleaning you know, gets the job done, even with things like shimmering inks. And, you know, as much as I let my pens crust up and sit for two years or whatever, even that doesn't usually necessitate a ultrasonic cleaning, to be honest with you. 
No. And I think a lot of uh, Nibmeister's pen restoration professionals and such use them when a customer or client sends in a pen and their mold radar goes off. If the if there is mm. actually some contaminants, then they're dealing with other people's pens. So generally they take it very seriously when they get mm-hmm. some sort of contaminant in their shop. So mm-hmm. that's another, like what Brian said, another yeah. nuclear option. Like, all right, they need to nip that in the bud because, you know, God forbid they, you know, somehow get another client client's pen contaminated mm-hmm. that's like a you know, big no-no so they make sure that they do not spread the the yeah. funk and in general most of the modern fountain paints we have you know are the chemistry is pretty good on them you're not dealing with yeah. crazy stuff some of the older inks 25 30 40 years ago they had some crazy stuff in them you know and uh that stuff dries up in there it's it's a whole different ball game to clear those out or you have somebody that just basically never cleaned their pen and they would just ink it with the next inks you end up with a mixture of inks that is built up over time with mm-hmm. with you know dust particles and paper fibers and all kinds of other junk that would cram up in the pen you do that for yep. a couple of decades and then yeah ultrasonic cleaner will definitely help with that sort of thing but anyway it could be fun you know if you have access to one and you have some really old pens that you're okay kind of experimenting with try it out because it is kind of cool and fun to when you really need it and it does actually work it's pretty cool but most of the time when i've tried to clean just my like regular pens with it i'm like it's more fuss to deal with the ultrasonic cleaner than it is to just flush it with a bulb syringe you know or maybe like scrape the feed with a toothbrush or something and that'll pretty much do the same job dude toothbrush i cannot say brian i don't know why we don't sell a goulet toothbrush because you uh, everybody should have a toothbrush in their collection for feeds like oh man yeah yeah some pen flush a paper towel and a toothbrush man it'll take care of business you know what drew i so i goulet toothbrush no, I'm not, we're not selling toothbrushes. Like, just, oh, come on, man. You got me all excited. Just use an old toothbrush. Everyone has old toothbrushes. Just hang Brian, on to this them. Is a, don't this, throw this it is out. A, just keep an old toothbrush. This, this is a branding opportunity I'm giving you. All okay, right? I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm gifting this to you, and you're just, all right, you just you just okay. wait. I'm going to go rogue. I'm going to go, I'm gonna, there's going to be a splinter company. All right, let us know in the comments if y'all That's fine. No, need, the Droulet pen, if y'all no, the Droulet pen Goulet company. Toothbrush. No, the Droulet toothbrush now, Dro- because you, you, you. Oh, you're, you just you 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 shut me down, you're man. You're worming your you way shut into me, this thing, aren't you? You shut me down. No, it's I'm going to sell nothing but toothbrushes man, for fountain pens. I'm the one that brought up the toothbrush. You're just like totally riding on my <laughs> coattails here. You're throwing your name on it. <laughs> it's going to be a toothbrush specifically designed for fountain pen feeds, but it's going to be exactly the same. What as does any that other even toothbrush? mean? What does that even mean? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, and we'll yeah. Oh my goodness. This, this too, you're too much during you're too much okay well yeah the, the, the toothbrush thing i'll say yeah. not only is that great for pens so i i have been keeping a toothbrush by our kitchen sink because i'm cleaning pens and let's be honest i neglect my pens as well as the next person so i'm oft <coughs> oft cleaning with pen flush and toothbrushes um i so i just kind of like leave the toothbrush there and man i'm like trying to clean some weird like dish or cup or something like that you know the kids have all these weird cups and crazy straws and all kinds of weird things with crevices man i'll use the toothbrushes like to clean my dishes and stuff like that it works great all the crevices like we have a garbage disposal and it's got like all the flaps for the garbage disposal i don't want to get in there with my fingers i'd grab a toothbrush get in there throw some dish soap on it scrub it up with a toothbrush the toothbrush i also has still have like a game changer for all cleaning things for me i also still have like baby bottle 
scrubbers. Ooh, yeah, those are good. Yeah, these, these will do those the are good too. for those like fat, like reusable straws because we don't we don't use disposable straws. The kids want to use straws all the freaking time. It's like just drink out of the dang cup. But no, <laughs> they want like the short, squatty little, so easy to tip over cup, and they have this huge straw sticking out of it just for maximum like leverage for knocking it over. No, <sighs> we have a strict like you know if you're gonna use a funky straw, you're drinking water. I'm not dealing right? with that. Oh, there's like twisty straws. I was like, those are so fun. The kids will love those. Yeah, they do. Don't you dare put that in milk, boy. Oh my gosh, those things are disgusting. Like, no. how do you clean those things? If you put that in milk, it's disposable now. I'm sorry, right. it's gone. Like you, you can drink it. You can yeah. use it one time and then you're throwing it away. Orange like, don't juice, do that to me. Orange juice and those things. Oh no, god. Hot chocolate. Yeah, put hot chocolate in oh, that thing. No. Try to clean no. that out. Good luck. Oh. <laughs> No, <laughs> shut it down. Oh my gosh, my kids are in the other room and they're going to hear me shouting out hot chocolate and they're going to ask for it. You watch, <laughs> you watch. <laughs> Rachel's probably dealing with that right now. All right, on to the next question. This is from no, okay, Nova Gem Cutter. Pretty sure that's how it's pronounced. Nova Gem Cutter. This year for Christmas, missed that, but here we are you're welcome close enough i just want my name mentioned in the pencast feedback section nova gem cutter your name is official or no no vage no vage m cut er i don't mm-hmm. know um okay well there you go congratulations you're officially mentioned uh, i would also like to know what smaller manufacturers still make their nibs in-house I love Bach and Yovo, but I really enjoy the unique feel of small batch nibs. I think small this batch. Isn't, I think like this is a, yeah. This I is think an like inter- interesting or like some yeah. other like you know small batch of like candles or I don't know like yeah. This is an interesting <laughs> question because small batch like you know uh, when you're thinking about the fountain pen industry like this is not a big industry like no, the not fountain really. pen industry overall like so. It really depends on your definition of small, um, because there are a lot of even even the bigger fountain pen companies are small compared to a lot of other companies. So it really depends. Um, if you consider most of the companies that we sell, like large companies, and you're talking more about like independent, you know, non-retail companies, then the first one that comes to mind is Franklin Kristoff. They're a very independent small business ran out of North Carolina in the U.S. And they do use Yovo nibs, to my knowledge, but then also, mm-hmm. to my knowledge, they can customize a nib mm-hmm. upon purchase. So if you go to their website, you can actually select from a long list of grinds that an in-house professional will take care of for you. So mo- the, the business end of the nib is the tipping material. And if you're mm-hmm. having the tipping material customized for you at purchase, that's... Uh, as small batches you're probably going to get um so the rest of the nib yeah it's you know it begins life as a yovo nib but after it's customized it becomes yours or it becomes you know their specialty nib in in a lot of ways so that would be the closest thing i could recommend to you as a like a small batch you know nib um but really i can't think of any small companies that make their own nibs in the fountain pen industry that's just not a thing it's too complicated too expensive it depends what you and, consider small like you said yeah I mean, it really depends now brian and i have both been to the aurora factory like mm-hmm. he mentioned we saw them stamping the feed and everything like that um aurora even though it is a 
big company or well-known company throughout the fountain pen industry the actual facility itself not that big Mm-mm. you know it's not a massive company despite the fact that their name is pretty well known within well, the even, fountain pen circle even number of employees i want to i can't remember exactly how many they had i want to say 80 or something like that yeah that's a in the grand scheme of things that is a very small company like yeah, very that's small. a small company yeah when you consider but most other do, industries yeah for sure. But they do make their own nibs. And the amount of people that are involved in making their nibs are very few people. We're talking like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, two primary people and then a rotation of a few more. Maybe you know, it's not a massive operation. It's their gold nibs that get made in-house there using, you know, machinery that's been at the factory for a long time. And there is a lot of handwork that goes into that. The tipping, you know, is, you know, as done by hand as it could be. It's not automated like some of the big, big, big fountain pen factories like Lamy. Um, but uh, it, it's probably as hand done as you could expect from a major fountain pen manufacturer. So I would say that that's probably the best bet if you're looking for a 100% made in-house nib from start to finish, from the gold stamping to the iridium alloy tipping and the polishing. Like Aurora, they they do it all and they do it well. Yeah, I think um, it's funny because I was actually just listening. I listen to all kinds of random stuff on like podcasts and youtube and all that um i was listening to some stuff about just like economics you know because i like to you know understand i dabble i dabble in economics i dabble in some of these things um but it's the whole concept of like you know should you try to make everything yourself um or should you you know specialize and focus on you know making something really well yourself and then getting you know, other things from others. I think there's a lot of specialization that's happened, you know, obviously in a lot of manufacturing, but um, in the fountain pen world, given that it's mostly smaller manufacturers. So it makes sense that you would have, you know, a small group of people who specialize in making nibs that are then, you know, essentially provided to most of the other pen community. And then the people that are, you know, manufacturing mm-hmm. pens, they're focusing a little more on design and some of the other aspects of the the pen making. And essentially not everybody's sort of having to reinvent the wheel and create nibs. Cause let's, let's be honest, there's, there's only so much new stuff that is being designed around nibs these days. It's a pretty well understood science and concept and stuff like that. In fact, most of the, you know, like Stipula makes some in-house, Aurora makes their their nibs in-house, um, and uh, we've seen some others as well, Lamy and all that. Most of them have some pretty specialized equipment that has either been antique or like from the 40s and 50s and stuff like that that is just not made anymore, and it's like very manual to make them. Uh, or they're you know, somewhat mass produced on machines that are adapted from other industries, like the automotive industry or something like that. And they're using it, tweaking it to make it. And then there's a lot of kind of handwork that has to be done in some of the more final stages. So I kind of like what Drew's talking about where, you know, not everybody has to make like a completely unique nib because essentially there's a lot of waste in that process because there's so many specialization things, so many tools, so much know-how involved in the design of a nib where you're you're just recreating things that have already been figured out. And then your costs are going to go way up for a given pen because you're paying for that small company, that small person to learn and do something rather inefficiently. Whereas a company like Bach or Yovo can make them way faster, much more reliably and the consistency, consistency is a big, consistency big is a huge issue with nibs huge. 
But I think even when you have them more or less mass produced, there's that kind of magic element of the tweaking and tuning and kind of the hand adjusting element towards the end of it. And every manufacturer that we know that is making them to whatever degree, or even tweaking them, adjusting, custom grinding, whatever, basically the final steps, if nothing else, is all handwork. So it's all super specialized knowledge, handwork, and it's just amount of time and effort spent in doing that handwork. So even when you have the more mass produced stuff, you know, the stainless steel nibs, if you're trying to get something very, very affordable, you're going to get less of that handwork. And so you'll see some more inconsistencies. But if you're getting something that's like a gold nib or something, you know, a little more expensive, then pretty much you're going to get something that's got a lot of handwork done, at least in the final stages. And that's going to have a lot of its, you know, kind of stamp or final touches and tweaks per per manufacturer, because they're the ones doing kind of that final work. But in terms of like total new nib design, I mean, it's cool and it's kind of novel, but it's not just the nib, it's the feed and how it matches up and the grip and it's got to fit in there. There's so much that has to be redesigned. It's basically like completely putting in an entirely new engine in a car. You know, it's like, okay, if you come up with a new model car, do you really care that much? Like how one engine is to another? If you're really just trying to get from point A to B, you care more about like, how does it feel and how many cup rollers does it have? And does it have whatever plug-in stations for your kids? iPads so they don't scream in the car when you're going on long trips. Like those are the things that probably matter more to you than like, oh, this engine was designed for this car unique from the model two years ago. It's like, if you have something that works really, really well, take it, tweak it, adapt it to fit into your new model, but you don't have to reinvent it every time or let somebody else make it. I see this a lot in like, um, you know, big equipment. I'm doing like the tree work and all that kind of stuff. There's like a couple manufacturers that make the engines for some of these machines that people use and they make them for everybody and whatever piece of woodworking equipment, you know, same kind of deal. It's like one or two companies that are manufacturing most of this stuff and it's basically different colors and labels and then some of the accessories and the, the, the final steps are what make them different from each other. But basically a lot of them are being made in the same factory. So it's not like that in the fountain pen world, but there are certainly components, nibs being one of them, where it makes way more sense to produce them at scale with somebody who specializes in making those nibs as opposed to, you know, a small independent manufacturer making all their own nibs from scratch. And then that would take like all their time and they would have no time to make pens. You know what I mean? So there's a fine balance to be had there. But I think that's why you don't see a lot of small manufacturers making nibs is because it just doesn't, the payoff's not necessarily there for, for the trade-off and the cost. And you honestly probably wouldn't get a better product in the end most of the time because those that have figured it out have really figured it out pretty well. That's what I that's got true. to say. Sorry, that was your question. All Drew. right. That was your question. I totally just... We shared it, Brian. It's it. okay. We both had good information. We drew late. But this we drew next late one. It. We drew late it. Uh, there we go. <laughs> All right. All right. This next one comes from Long John. Perhaps silver. I don't know. Mm, I don't does know. Does he have a, does he have a missing leg? Mm. Long, mm, that's true. Maybe he's trying to Long John demonstrator. Long John demonstrator over here. Ah. Uh, Okay. Anyway, Long John asks the simple and easy to answer question, why do feeds have fins? Are they a throwback to the early days before cartridges, converters, and piston fillers, etc., or do they serve a purpose in the modern-day pens? The reason I ask is because my Pilot Falcon and Sterling pens don't have fins, and they write flawlessly. Also, 
when I fill a pen with a thinned feed, mm. I always wipe the excess ink with a paper towel. Mm -hmm. Additionally, I dab the ink out of the fins so that no extra ink will make a mess inside of the cap. Am I just wasting ink when I do this? Um. Okay, there are several questions in this question. One, two, three, four different questions that I'm seeing. Um, basically, all fins are blah, blah, blah. Basically, all feeds do have fins. I'm not going to say exclusively, but basically they all do. But you can't always necessarily see them on the outside. I'm just going to pick up a couple of random pens that I have here. Um, I have a Pilot Explorer. Drew is a fanboy of this pen. And, uh, you know, it uses the same feed as many of the Pilot pens, the Metropolitan and the Plumix and Kakuno and all these types of things. Um, this one's kind of interesting because it's got, it almost has fins like the other way. It's kind of like indentations kind of going the long ways instead of across. You know, like if you have the Twisby Eco, for example, that has oh, yeah. a little more of a traditional fountain pen feed situation. It's got the fins going. It's basically cut into essentially the bottom of the feed. It's very visible. You can see it when you ink it up. You can see there's ink sitting in those fins. Pilot doesn't have that. It's relatively flat. Lamy is the same way. It's got the little Lamy like swoop on the bottom. So it doesn't have those exposed fins. But you know what? Here's the big deep dark secret. If I pull, I'm trying to see if I have one of these that's not inked so I don't make a huge mess all over the place. But I don't know if I do. So I might just make a mess, whatever. Okay. So if I pull this out and get the ink off of it, you will see deep hidden inside the bowels of the grip of the pen. I don't know where Drew's going. He can't hear me right now though, because he took off his earphones. Drew's funny looking. He smells really weird. And oh, hey, Drew, welcome back. Did you say something Been talking nasty? about normal things? Nope, just talking about oh. my feed. Um, so if you look in here, oh gosh, this lighting is not helping me out. Ah. Hey, Brian, look what I did. What'd you do? Did you do the same thing? This is a, this is do the feed. Do you have this a Falcon? Is that what you're doing? You showing off? I do have a Falcon. Yes. Okay, fine. Let's see if I can adjust. Uh, Boom. Look at that. Inside right. the grip. You got all those fins. They're there. They're hidden. They are they're there. just not exposed. So bottom line is they're going to be there on pretty much every pen. You just, don't, to see it. you just don't always see them. So what are they doing? They're essentially acting like a regulator. So as we were talking in the first question that we started out with today, when you have an ink channel, that is basically your main transport. That's your, you know, whatever. That's your water main that's coming from your water plant. I don't know. I'm trying to go with a metaphor of a water mm -hmm. system. And I clearly mm -hmm. don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so anyway, you've got your ink reservoir. The ink channel through the feed is your main pipeline, bringing all that ink down to the nib. Well, the problem is that ink channel, it's not, it's not going to be able to stop and start flow maybe quite as easily. Or if you're writing really fast and then you stop and then you're writing really inconsistently like you do when you write letters, that is going to need to be regulated and you want to have essentially a kind of a holding place that can have ink right there at the nib ready to go so that when it needs it it flows well and is right there it's a little harder to do that coming straight out the channel out of the ink chamber so all those fins up inside there 
it's it's just holding ink that's all it's doing it's just holding ink and it's ready for you when you're ready to write and as you're writing the capillary action's working through those fins and it's all kind of flowing in going in through your feed you know at the surface of the feed where the nib mates up to it flowing down your slit of your nib and coming out the tip and onto the paper so it's drawing everything that's all hanging out right up underneath that nib and it's ready there for you if you didn't have all that you'd probably have a lot more flow issues you'd probably have a lot more burping issues and things like that but you would probably have more issues with it uh writing dry and stuff like that and even if it flowed well without any type of you know feed fins or anything like that as soon as you have any type of blockage or anything like that in there or you write with it for a little bit it kind of dries out you would just probably the pen would dry out in probably in hours maybe in a day or something like that you would just have a lot more problems so they have those fins in there so that you have a holding place for all that ink that's sitting there right there ready at the nib i think i've said that seven or eight times at this point so i can probably shut up but basically that's what it is so depending on can you see the fins can you not how many are there that all depends on physics and that all depends on how it's engineered how it's designed it's going to be different from pen to pen and uh that's why some pens write differently than others with different ink and different nib sizes and all that because there's a lot of variables at play and more than i can even explain and uh yeah so it's fin 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 feeds they're essential but you don't often have to think about them because they just work that they do um I will also say, just as a PSA, I'm looking in here my spare parts from in my pilot drawer, Brian, mm-hmm. where I have this random Falcon feed. I also have two sadly cracked to bejesus and back 823s, man. Oh no! Don't unscrew the grip section. Oh, are these ones that were sent. Your... These are these ones that were sent. Back oh to yeah, us? they're totally ruined. Like where you're talking, like look Ooh. at this thing. There's a crack, probably like an inch long, right there. I don't know if you can see it. It's, mm-hmm. it's gnarly. Don't unscrew. This is not a unscrewable grip section no don't don't do it even if it seems like it's okay it's not your pen going your pen going crack yeah it's it's not pretty crack kills so pens yeah <laughs> it does so sad to look at <laughs> i didn't even know they were there that is really sad <laughs> oh. anyway all right somebody's hey gonna, that's it brian somebody's gonna want those pens now drew <laughs> i i, I need them for parts need them for parts sorry they're not available. i need all the parts yeah now i have ink all over my fingers i'm actually pretty happy about that except i'm wearing a white sweater so i'm like i cannot touch my sweater because i will get teal ink on my sweater anyway um we do have a couple of lightning round questions drew all right yes we do and we're talking 10 second answers brian i can't do it drew yes you I can i believe right, in I'm you try. i'm gonna try i'm just gonna I talk believe really in fast. you okay okay all right we've got four lightning round questions the questions okay. themselves will not be 10 seconds but our responses will be because brian has made a new year's resolution to be more definitive when it comes to objective objective nonsense no, that was an, that's an unauthorized resolution yes. <laughs> That is an applied, I'm going unauthorized to, resolution. I'm going to impose a resolution upon you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Lightning round question number one. Our friend Alan says, Once upon an old Q&A, Brian said that green pens didn't sell well, which shocked me because my favorite color is green. Now I see a bunch of excellent pens on the site. Have you seen color preferences change over the years? Brian, 10 seconds. Okay, I'm actually going to set a timer for myself. Okay. Yeah. Set a timer of 10 seconds. Okay. <clears throat> Ready? The color Go. preferences change. Whoops, I set it for a minute and 10 seconds. Hang on. 
No go. Okay. Okay. 10 seconds. Okay. Uh, yeah. Color preferences change just like they change for appliances and rugs and clothes and cars. Colors change and green is more popular now. Beautiful. <laughs> there we go. I did it. <laughs> How many seconds was that? It was 10 seconds. My alarm just went off. Uh, nice. All right. Okay. Sounds good. All right. All right. Drew. John asked, oftentimes when writing, I pause to think of my next sentence with my uncapped pen in hand. This can sometimes cause an occasional dry start. Are there some inks that are less prone to dry starts? Yes, there are, John, and it's called Private Reserve Infinity Ink. Give it a try. We sell samples. Ooh, six seconds, Drew. You're on point. All right. Let's do the next one. Let's see if I can do I put three large bullet points for this one. <laughs> yeah, good luck on this one. All right. I don't, this one is super simple too, dude. I don't know why you like... Anyway. All right, I'll give my answer, and then I have to give like a little a little disclaimer caveat at the end. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes, the, the, the disclaimer does not count toward your 10-second right, allotment. I'll say the I'll thing, and then I'll say the disclaimer at the end. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Rob asks, here's a question for Brian as a fellow hokey. What are the best inks to match Virginia Tech, Chicago Maroon, and Burnt Orange? Okay, the Maroon, I think there's not a great perfect match, but Monteverde Gorilla, PR Vampire Red, Noodler's Red Black, Diamond Oxblood, Ursalo Manio Ume. Crap, I didn't make the time. Okay, well, I'm going to just save the oranges anyway because I need to answer the question. Um, the oranges, Colorverse Martian. Monteverde Citrine, Monteverde Fire Opal, or PR Orange Crush. I feel like the oranges are a lot closer to the burnt orange. The maroons are either like too red or too brown. Um, How hard would it be for you to just pick one maroon and one orange though? Well, I was trying to give options because not everybody mm. likes every brand or every color. Some are, you know, small quantities, too expensive. They don't like the bottle. So I was trying to give variety. I could have mm. I could have pared it down a little bit. But seriously, mm -hmm. the maroons, I don't feel really great about any of them. Oh. But anyway. Um, so my caveat, you know, my caveat is way back, <clears throat> way back in Goulet pens before we sold any fountain pen things. I actually, yes! I officially licensed Virginia tech pens when I was making them by hand. I had to get special insurance. I had to pay licensing fees and all that stuff. So my caveat is everything we're talking about here is completely unofficial. Nothing is licensed. <clears throat> there is no Virginia tech, anything. They actually have the colors licensed Chicago maroon and burnt orange. So there are no colors that we have that match those exactly. I'm just taking inspiration from your question and mentioning things that happen to be similar colors should you choose to match them. But if you're talking any officially licensed like sports teams or merch like that, they can be rather litigious and I really don't want to get sued. So I'm not going to officially say anything about any of that but if you happen to <laughs> want to get colors that may be close for whatever reason these might be some that are there for you all right Drew, you're just like mr hop about a seat today that that means i don't have my ish together at all <laughs> okay fair enough are you ready for the next question drew you ready yeah man all right Lori asked i recently bought a traveler's notebook to use for a planner slash notes slash etc for the new year. I know Drew uses a traveler's style notebook. I'm assuming Brian does too. I'd love to hear how each of you use yours. What refills their purpose, etc. in 10 seconds. Good luck. 
All right, we can we can both have ten seconds on this one. Okay. All right. Um, I wish I had more of a rhyme or reason to this one, but I don't. I have uh, personal stuff, stuff that I just write down to remember, but don't intend on keeping, and businessy, officey, leadershipy stuff. There you go. Okay. I use the regular size um, travelers. Um, I use Goulet notebooks in them because I like the paper. I have three notepads in them one is dot one is lined the dot i use for work stuff the lined i use for personal and the third one is the one that is replacing the one that is most full so sometimes it's dot, sometimes it's lined so right now i think it's uh lined because i filled up the other lined so i replace it with the next one and then once i fill up the dot i'll replace the filled lined ones with the dot just so i have the ones that i've most recently referenced on hand at all times so there you go that's how i use it all right. More than 10 seconds, but whatever. We did okay. I think we <laughs> yeah, talked. Not bad, Brian. We talked more about how we were going to time it and do all that stuff than if we had just answered the questions. But it was fun, right? I, it was fun. I think, I think you did a great job. <laughs> I was very proud of you. All right. We have a tip of the week segment for you all. This is a super easy and probably very obvious one for many of you. But I was lazy and didn't feel like doing a lot of work on this one. I'm just kidding. No, it's a very basic one, but I do like it a lot and use it all the time as someone who doesn't clean their pens very often. So my little tip is if you have a pen that's been maybe sitting around for a little bit, having a little hard time starting or something like that, you don't really feel like cleaning it out because the pen's still half full and you don't feel like going through all that. You can basically prime the pen up again and get it flowing. It's easy if you have a pen that's either a converter that's especially a piston style because you have a lot of control over that or if you have a piston filling pen like this Twisby here, basically, excuse me, have a paper towel tissue, something like that to put under it because you can definitely have too much come out and get it all over the place. Um, but basically you just draw it down. So you just, let me not get it all over my keyboard. So you just like twist it down a little bit with your nib pointed down, watch it very carefully. This is where it helps to have fins on your feed because then you can see when your ink is coming down, let it sit there for a little bit and then just kind of draw it back up. And you're basically priming it back in. That's if you're on the go and you don't want to deal with like dipping it back into the ink bottle or whatever. So you can sort of get it primed again. Um, if you have a pen that you can't do that with easily, say you have a vac filler or if you're using cartridges or something like that, you can take like a small little cup of water. You can just dip it in the water. Basically you're, you're resaturating whatever ink may have dried on your nib or your feed. You can do it that way. You can run it under a little bit of water, but then it kind of goes everywhere. So I like a little cup of water better. Some people, I know this sounds gross, but they will actually like lick the tip of the pen to get it going again. I do not advise doing that, but that is an old school way to do it. And um, yeah, oh my gosh, I got ink on my desk surface quite a bit. I'm gonna have to clean that because it's really bad. Um, I now have dark blue and teal ink everywhere. Wow, that's really messy. Brian. Okay, made a big mess. And you're wearing a white sweater. Be careful. Don't lean I'm, up against it's it. because I'm wearing a white sweater that I'm making a mess everywhere. Okay. Oh, um, God. Yes. Um, you know, barbecue for dinner? <laughs> I might. Spaghetti. I'm thinking spaghetti with meatballs. Oh, God. Um, there was one other thing that I thought I wanted to say, and now... I'm not sure I'm saying it. Oh yeah, you can just dip it back into the ink. If you have the ink bottle, you can just dip it right back into the ink bottle, wipe it off, and you don't have to actually like refill it again. Or if you if it's really bad, you can dump the, a little bit of the ink, if, assuming it's the same ink, obviously. You can actually unscrew it, fill it back up, kind of refill it. That will kind of reconstitute it again and uh, get it flowing. And you might be able to buy yourself some more time before you have to clean out your pen, which I'm all about. Because I don't like cleaning my pens as often as Drew does. 
I do like cleaning my pens. I just don't often, I like doing it. I don't want to do it very often. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like once that's kind of like me once and, I'm doing me and it, any I'm like, social activity. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't want to leave my cozy house and get in the car yeah. and go drive to this party. But once I'm there, like I like the people there and I'm really having a good time. And then I don't want to exactly. leave, but I don't, you know, it's the momentum thing. I don't want to just go and get started cleaning my pens. But once I do, I'm like, oh, I'm cleaning like 40 pens. This is happening. So yeah, it's just more how I roll. Anyway, that's my yep. tip of the week. All there right. we go. All right. Now onto the more nonsensical portion of it where we aren't talking about anything that has to do with pens mostly. So Drew, what is happening in your life? Well, Brian, a lot <laughs> happened in my life since our last pen cast. <laughs> yeah, it has. I was one of the unfortunate people on planet Earth to uh, visit, uh, have a visit by the Omicron demon. So um, yeah, my wife and I got COVID and uh, it was a, it was a, it was a thing. It was more of a thing because it happened over the uh, the Christmas holiday, and you know we were stuck in the house for a couple weeks, and you know trying to distance because we have a seven year old at home. First, my wife got it, so we were kind of trying to distance from her a little bit, and then I realized that I had it, so we were both trying to not be near our seven year old on Christmas Day. Which was just that's the a symptoms little, were that the sucks. symptoms were oh my oh it was awful it was absolutely awful like she basically had flu like symptoms I had <coughs> I'm still coughing um, I had cold like symptoms and then uh, but Archer he was fine the whole time he never no symptoms we got him tested totally fine so uh, he had a much more recent vaccine than she or I did ours were back you know almost a year ago now she got hers in January I got mine in uh, February and the second one in March so. Um, we were supposed to get our boosters the day she found out she was positive, so we had to delay that. Of course, so, of course. Yeah. So, but he was he was a champ. He was good. Um, it just it just sucked having to spend Christmas morning that way, not being able to hug him, you know, as he opened his presents and stuff like that. Luckily, we had all mm. of our shopping done, but it was the uh, the the safety procedures, you know, trying to balance like you know taking care of him and making sure he got fed while he had to be home from school too, and also like his so his school was out. This was during Christmas break. But his um, his after school program or his summer program, whatever it turns into, depending on the time of the year, they were going to keep the kids over the winter break. And they had like bouncy castles planned. They had a game truck coming by. They had they had an activity for every day. And he was so excited for all of it. And he had to stay home for two weeks and not do any of that. And, you know, so I gave him a couple early Christmas presents. I gave him those things that I eBayed. I gave him the Mighty Max that I got on eBay. I gave him the Power Ranger Zord that I got on eBay. So he loved those. So I was nice. trying to trying to make it good for him. But, um, yeah, it, it, it sucks either, either way you put it. But yeah. I know I'm not alone. I know that, you know, many of you have been through a similar situation or know somebody who has. It's just a, it's an unfortunate time of year to get it. But I, I count myself among the fortunate because our symptoms were – you know, never put us in any harm, but, um, you know, just trying to, trying to be safe and, you know, make sure my family stays safe, but it sucked. It definitely sucked. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we did, uh, got to play around in the snow a couple days ago after we all got better. So that was fun. It's uh, here in uh, central Virginia. We got, um, a, you know, good amount of snow. It hit, uh, it was snowman, uh, efficient. So we got to do the snowman thing. Uh, my wife and I finished the second season of Witcher, which we were very, very excited about. Nice. Really, really liked that. Um, I bought some more 80s VHSs. Um, oh, did but, you uh, now? You know. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> measured my shelf, Brian. So I know now how many I need uh, to fill up my shelf. Uh, so I, 
I like took, you know, I, I VHS measured the rest of the shelf. So I, I needed to complete the list that I had previously done, but then I need to add two more. Mm. So okay. still, still thinking about that, but I'll let you know when I finish. Don't you worry. This is like, this is like when you buy a pen case, you're like, well, I have eight pens. I'm going to, yes! I'm going to go ahead and buy the 20 pen case. That way I have room. And then you're like, wow, that, that 20 pen case sure filled up quick. Didn't it? <laughs> It's like a self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy. It's like it's like yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and then uh, my son got Super Smash Brothers for the Switch for Christmas, so we played that a lot. Oh well. So Joseph tells me it's called Smash. That's what that's what the kids are calling it. That's what the kids call yeah. it. Yeah, we played Smash. We played yeah. Smash quite a bit. Um, but none of that matters, Brian, <laughs> because today on my lunch break, I went to Bojangles. And that was glorious. Okay. And now I'm just now. What it's like you, none uh, of what did you have at Bojangles? Oh, well, Brian, I got the four piece Supremes combo mm. with a, a little little pouch of uh, Bose special sauce, and oh, well, sweet tea and fries, of course, because that's just what you do. Mm. And I went a little nuts because I had a gift card, Brian. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. I did. What little and magical fairy might have given you that? Yeah, gift some, card? some, you know, just a friendly, a friendly, uh, a friendly friend. Um, and uh, I went and I got myself a Bowberry biscuit as well. I was going to ask if you got a Bowberry biscuit. Because you know the combo already has a biscuit. So if you go Bowberry on top of that, you're you're like, you're in biscuit town. And you're you're committing. Is there a problem I, here? I'm hearing nothing but good things right now. It was no Regular problem. Regular biscuit and Bowberry biscuit. They are two very no different problem. biscuit experiences. Yes, there's dessert biscuit, but you know what I did? I did eat the Bowberry biscuit before the regular biscuit. Oh, really? Because I didn't, I didn't want to not be hungry enough to eat the Bowberry biscuit. It was a strategy. Okay, okay, fair enough. Yes, fair enough. So I ate the Bowberry biscuit. I'm like, do I want regular biscuit now? Yes, I so, do. So <laughs> I ate the regular biscuit. So Drew, when you were a kid, would you be the one to like eat the food that you liked the most on your meal first? Or did you like to save it to the end so that you end on the favorite, you know, thing, whatever it is? Generally, I, I want to end on the favorite thing. However, if I'm not confident that I'm going to be able to eat all of the favorite thing, mm. I will stop and make sure that gets done. Would, like I am, I will leave room because I want to make sure that I can have as much dessert as I uh, am allotted. Yeah, see, I've never had that experience. I will force, <laughs> I will force it down if I have to. I know you will. There is no like it doesn't matter how much I've eaten. If I had that favorite thing left, it's getting eaten. No stomach, even if it makes you, even it makes you darned. sick. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's funny because Rachel and I have, oh gosh, this, so we actually keep a list of quotes going around our team members and, and, and even like our personal family and stuff. Just like, you know, you all have like hilarious family things that you say and that get brought, Otters get can brought do, back uh, up. Like seals can do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that'll be in there. I don't know. Um, so we have one that Rachel said that was specifically about Bojangles. We don't eat there often, but, um, when we did a long time ago, uh, we had, we were eating our meal and, and Rachel is not like me. She will not force food down her gullet just to make sure that she gets it eaten. She will stop in the middle. I don't think most people are like that. I don't know. This is all I know. This is all I know in my life. It's probably why I weigh as much as I do. But anyway, um, <laughs> so Rachel specifically about the, it wasn't the Bobier biscuit. It was just a regular, regular Bojangles biscuit, but she she uh, was basically strategizing eating her meal because she said, and I quote, I want to end on a biscuit. Mm. And so that has become a 
very frequented phrase that her and I both throw around. That's basically like I'm saving the best for last or like I love I'm going to make sure that I time it and like end on a high note, you know, like George Costanza, like leaving on a high note. That's like Rachel's ending on a biscuit. So I love that. That 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 is brilliant. Like I I will. I want to have like a motivational poster with that that on there. That could be a t-shirt. Like I want to end on a biscuit. biscuit. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you end on a biscuit today. Like that's oh. right. That's right, listeners. End on a biscuit. It's like if you, if you're if you're going through some hardships, if you're having a rough day, just end on a biscuit. You end. Find your biscuit and end on it. <laughs> Nothing like, else matters. Just like all that COVID I mean, stuff, it doesn't matter because I had in Bojangles today. There you go. That's like a chicken soup for the soul. Uh, little remember that little book like popular in the '90s and whatnot. Oh yeah, it's like a yeah. phrase from that. Make sure you end on a biscuit. Mm. Page forty-seven or something. Page eighty-four. It's, end on a biscuit boom it's bow time you're welcome chicken soup people publish that all day long <laughs> chicken soup people i don't know it's a thing right like it's, they have a they have a lot of chicken soup for the whoever books like it's like a you're whole, welcome chicken soup people it's a whole thing it's like a whole franchise they have like 80 of those books chicken soup for teenagers chicken soup for kids chicken soup for you know everything it's out it's crazy it's just chicken soup everywhere <laughs> Anyway, are we, what's happening with you, Brian? Are we done talking about you? Okay, let's talk about me. Um, <laughs> uh, clearly, I have no shortage of words today. So, um, yeah, I've had some fun. I've had some major computer issues, which is always a blast, especially timing it around the holidays when there's a major COVID spike and there's like nobody at any of the computer places to help me. So, I won't go There's into, nobody at any of the places. I yeah, right. I won't go into any great detail, but I'm working it out. I'm on Rachel's like old computer from 2015 here, but it's it's working. I'm making it work. But like my my computer, I'm I'm dealing with it. It's fine. I'm taking care of it, but had a lot of extra time and drama spent with that. Um, we've been at home with our kids quite a bit. They were home for two weeks on winter break, and then we got a big snowstorm, and now they've been home for three days. And we're supposed to possibly get more snow tomorrow. So we're going to see if they have school at all this week. They might have a three-week winter break, which they're totally fine with. Um, but, you know, we're like trying to work and actually do some things. So... You know, um, their electronic devices have been raising them mostly during the day, and that's fine. We got to do what you got to do, but I'm just kidding. We're making time with them. They're playing out in the snow, but yeah, we don't get a lot of snow in Virginia, and I'm kind of glad because I'm like, yeah, um, third day of this. I'm like kind of done with it and over it, and it can go away now. Like, I want to see other things besides just ice and dirt. Um, Okay, what else? We had Christmas. Lots of fun things were happening um lots of lego lots of arts and crafts things lots of beads ellie loves making bracelets and craft things yes drew do you have a question i i do i have a i have a professional go ahead go ahead you're so courteous i have a professional curiosity about legos at christmas brian okay because santa uh santa doesn't bring all the presents but he usually brings one okay because you know homeboy needs to know that mom and daddy bring in the presents oh, anyway okay um santa brought archer a the biggest lego set he has had thus far it's a oh. big like three in one build you know but it's a pirate ship or a pirate cabin or a pirate skull island thing sweet yeah yeah pretty cool um but he chose to build one of the other builds not the primary build mm. so the instructions didn't go bag by bag okay so right right 
he is completely over overwhelmed hmm. he cried he doesn't know where the parts are i tried to color code them like to make it easier for him to find but he just doesn't even know where to begin okay like, do you guys have a strategy on how to attack big honking builds I mean, we've attacked some big and builds before. So, do you use like muffin trays or something like that? Um, I will often uh, muffin trays are not bad. I like to use um, like small like uh, bathroom like cups, like those little two ounce cups, like you you know. Oh yeah, little Dixie cups. cups. Yeah, ideally, yeah. If, if you have. <laughs> Maybe not surprisingly, I have some that are like a translucent blue color uh, because uh-huh. that makes me happy. But if you have clear ones, that's even better because then you can see like through the side of the cup. Or mm. if you have like small glasses or something like that, whatever you got, I would maybe use glass for kids, but I don't know. Archer seems responsible enough. Um, but, you know, if you have like small, basically small plastic cups, that can be great because you can reuse them obviously okay. over and over again. But then you can separate things out. Um, but honestly, what I end up doing with the kids most of the time, especially if like they're kind of overwhelmed, it's a big set. I yeah. I do the grunt work. I will pour out all the pieces. I will search and basically find the pieces and, and I'll sit next to them and make, we'll make it together. Okay. But I am picking all the pieces out and basically giving them exactly the pieces. That's that exactly need. what we ended up doing. Yep. Okay. Because then he, well, he gets I've, to do okay. the most fun and satisfying part. Yeah, yeah. And you're taking out all the frustration. You know, yeah, and it, it basically yeah. was just like I would, I would, um, you know, when he'd open the, open the, um, the, 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 the booklet, mm-hmm. I would start sorting out pages, and I'd put yep. a clump of parts at each step, and he just, you know, I'd try to keep up with him. Yeah, but, and, um, and but now he, but now he won't do it by himself. He's like, well, it was so much easier with you. I'm like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. I wouldn't worry about that too much. As he gets older, he'll he'll grow out of that, and he'll cool. he'll be less reliant right. on you. Like, don't worry that you're gonna have like a 30 year old in your basement wanting you to pick out all his Legos. You know, that's he, he'll get more confident about that or you'll be busy and he'll be like i don't feel like waiting for dad and he'll just go do it himself one day that's how it was with our kids they you know that doesn't doesn't bother me i just want to make sure i'm you know got 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 the optimal approach and i know you and joseph have experience on this yeah dad we've rolled many many times yeah many (laughs) times we would do that with joseph because he was kind of particular and you know would would kind of you know he wanted to actually build the thing and um so that was fine ellie yeah she just she would have no problem just getting in there and just getting it done. She would just give it heck. And she often wouldn't want to wait for me. So she would be like finding the pieces. And I'm like, all right, fine, go ahead. Like, do your thing. So it depends on the kid. But yeah, I would just try to cool. minimize the frustration and just make it fun for them as much as possible. And then they'll grow, cool. they'll grow into Thank it. You. And as they get more competent, they'll, they'll have more fun sorting out the stuff. But yeah, if you end up building all three of those three-in-ones... I will be shocked because I don't think Joseph has ever built all of the alternates of any of his stuff because he'll build it and then I'll take it apart and then it just just absorbs into the abyss of his collect- oh. collection and he has oh it's so sad he has some some magnificent sets that are now just sucked into his room like a black oh. hole that get picked oh. apart he's got the Lego Millennium Falcon in there somewhere he's no. got Benny's spaceship from the first Lego oh, movie. Those Millennium Falcons are like worth hundreds of dollars. Well, it wasn't the original one. It was the newer one. Still, it was still, still pretty cool, and it's all, uh, it's all in there somewhere, probably. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring up. No, it's painful memories. It's one of those things that, like, as a as a person who collects things, yeah, it is difficult to have children who maybe don't like. And I'm literally like, okay, the friggin' Lego movie. It's got the dad who's got everything organized and like won't let his I know kid I don't want to be him. Like, I can't be that guy, but I'm like right. finding myself like 
I've got to bite my tongue yes. because I I'm the same absolutely way. I'm the same want way. to just glue this thing together and never let them take it apart. But I can't do that because that then I'm literally the bad guy in the movie. I know. <laughs> I know that that Lego movie is a cautionary tale for Lego dads. Oh, it is. It is. Like, don't be this guy. Yeah. Don't be the craggle dad. Yeah. But I have my own Lego Technic, and and my kids know you don't you don't pull apart dad's Technic. <laughs> like that's like we've been able to draw the line. The kids have their Lego stuff, and it's a hot mess. My stuff, I'm like, no. I keep. If I build the alternate kit, I put the spare parts in a bag that's labeled with the number for it. Anyway, one hack for nice. one hack for you, Drew, that can help with the mm. whole like trying to build it at the same time thing. Because you know what'll happen is he'll be building something and he'll be like on the end of a page, and you're like, I can't see what's coming next. And then you'll flip the page and you'll be like, Oh crap, I got to find a bunch of pieces, and he's got to sit there and wait for you. And then he gets frustrated because he's waiting for you. So you can actually download like digital copies of most of them onto a device. So you can have it on your device and sort of be working ahead a little bit. He can have the book kind of more in front of him. That way you're not kind of tripping over each other. But if you work out of the book too, it's fine. You can just be patient. Mm. But little little hack there that I've come. Or uh, like if both kids, oh, that's where it really gets fun. When both kids want to build at the same time and I have to like project manage the situation because I'm like, okay, I will find the pieces. Joseph, you assemble the like subgroups and then Ellie like adds it to the thing, like adds it to the bigger thing that's being built. And that's how we're going to like assembly line this thing. And of course, then they're working twice as fast. So I'm like frantically trying to find all the pieces just to keep them like fed and interested. We did that a few times and it's fun, but it's, that's a little, a little more stressful yeah, as the parent yeah, trying no, to keep both of them entertained and then they kind of fight and I'm like, all right, fine, switch. YouTube yep, switch up, done. you know, yeah. Anyway. All right, well, we'll probably slice this out um, for <laughs> like a Lego, Lego parenting Le- hack. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, okay, what else? What else? Let's see here. Um, we got our kids some like um, just really, really small um, RC cars. They've never had like rc cars um and they were mario themed so it's like a little yoshi one and a peach and stuff like that so they were driving those things around outside and having an absolute blast and i'm like great more batteries i get to manage in my life that's awesome so and you have to like you have to like unscrew the thing out and then take it and then remove the battery from the device and then charge it and all that i'm just like oh my gosh this thing is like why can't i just plug right into the device just leave the battery in there it would be so much easier nope there's no light there's no nothing so i gotta like super project manage batteries anyway the kids love it they're having a blast and then it snowed and they can't be able to drive them anyway because there's ice everywhere you look like you want to say something i'll say it to you later we don't no need no need to take up more time i've got a i've got a solution for you for the rc thing Ooh, okay fair enough um let's see here ellie had her birthday so that happened since the last time we did pencast yes that's definitely fun having her birthday right around christmas time so it's like it's a whole thing and joseph's will be coming up soon here in january so like we have everything happening in this like one month period here um so yeah that was that was a lot of fun that was happening like right as omicron was starting to like really kick up and hit the news so we got to be nice and paranoid about all of the contacts and everything um that just kicked up everywhere and it was kind of crazy but anyway um you know did a did a pinata and all that kind of stuff that was pretty fun um though i will say we were gonna do the limbo but somebody actually stole our limbo bar so we couldn't do the limbo i mean drew how low can you go 
What, what do you? Oh God! Oh God! Oh, you snuck it in there! Yes, I did. Oh my God! You monster! There was no limbo. It literally says on the note, "Someone took our limbo bar." I'm like, that's really messed up. I'm like, I have I have questions about that. Yeah, no one. And you just, no you just, bar. yeah, I you did. just. I heard, oh. I heard that, and I was like, "Oh, I gotta save that for Drew." So and it's go. right in the middle too, You're you welcome. monster! You're welcome. I, I put thought into where I was gonna insert oh. that into this pencast, so. You're welcome. You're welcome, everyone. Take that. Use that as you will. Um, My aunt got Archer a joke book for Christmas, too, man. Oh, you don't know yes. how much I've been suffering yes. through this nonsense. Yes. Oh, God. I feel like, I feel like oh, I'm on, it was so much I feel more, like I'm on the was, dark side, just like absorbing your anxiety oh, around these jokes. You have no idea how much more painful that was because I didn't see it coming. Like normally yes. you're like, hey, I've yes. got a joke. I, I'm going to say a dad joke in this company meeting. But no. this one, you're just like, it's like you're getting punched. Right. Like, you know the punch is coming. So you're like, Arr! that's right. But this time it was like, oh, that's right. I'm upset. I'm, I'm upset. Muhammad now. Ali on that situation right there. Oh, Stung man. like a bee. Um, oh, God. <laughs> that was a rope-a-dope uh, dad joke right there. Sorry, that, that doesn't, no, 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 no. You, you were the dope, sir, for that joke. Oh, I can't even. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm going to go to bed. Let's see here. What else? What else? Uh, I did complete my car stereo, as we talked about earlier. When I say car stereo, I mean giant subwoofer. That's all it is, because that's all I really care about. Um, so for any of those that are that are even mildly interested um i didn't go nuts so when i was in, when i was in, I, I mean i did kind of go nuts so when, yes you absolutely went nuts okay context, you said you're, contextually for the 37 year old father of two okay yeah probably probably went a little nuts but when i compare myself to my my 18 year old self it doesn't seem so drastic i had two 15 inch subwoofers in like a uh, a Saturn uh, back when, and and uh, it wasn't even my car. It was it was my my sister's car that I borrowed for a little bit. But I bought them and stuck them in the trunk of a Saturn. That was a little overkill. Now I just have one 12 inch subwoofer. For those interested, it's a Kicker um, uh, Q7. So it's a Q Logic. It's a it's a pretty it's a sweet subwoofer. It's square. It's a square subwoofer. It's kind of cool. You know they made those. It, it, they do. It's a, kicker, mm. it's a kicker thing. Anyway, so one 12-inch subwoofer in a ported box with a Rockford Fosgate power amp. So I have 750-watt RMS power to that sucker. And it's a tiny little amp. So, like, I was used to these, like, really big pieces of equipment from 15 years ago. Last time I was into this. Now, everything's a little more compact, a little more efficient. So I'm running it at one ohm resistance, and uh, it hits pretty good. I uh, actually measured it because... <laughs> I was able to find my old, and it looks old, Drew. You will love the retroness of this sound level meter. Here, I'll show it to you, Drew. I do, I Look at that. Do dig Look at that. that logo, the Radio Shack. That's there. nice. Yeah, that classic kind of look. So I was able to sound level measure, um, hit 100 and 122 decibels, which is, uh, this thing only goes up to 126. So uh, almost maxed it out there. That's very loud, by the way. If you're curious, very loud, almost like, um, like there are there are firearms that are that loud <laughs> so it's about as loud as a 22 so but but it's like more or less continuous so i do not listen to it that loud that's just i wanted to see its potential but anyway it's very loud and the funny thing is rachel does not care at all she's like it's one of the biggest eye rolls i've ever gotten is this whole project but um the kids 
when I have it like very, very low, they're like, oh, wow. And I turn it up and they're like, no, this is scary. And I'm like, just you wait, you'll love it in a few years. Um, but as I was going before we were recording this, I was like, let me, let me, let me like actually measure how loud this thing is. So I told the kids, Rachel was out in an appointment or something. I told the kids, hey, I was like, hey, I'm going to go out. I'm going to test the thing. It's going to be kind of loud. And Ellie doesn't even look up from what she's doing. And she's like, that's okay. We're used to it. <laughs> and I was like, I have a feeling Ellie's oh going to be the one with the, with the giant sound system in the car. Yeah, she's like, I mean, she's kind of ambivalent about it. Joseph is like very reserved about it. He's not as, he's not into me turning it up too loud. Ellie's a little more like, ooh, this is kind of interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we'll see. I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of like you, Drew. I'm just very used to the people in my family rolling their eyes and being interested only like to like three sentences in on whatever it is I'm passionate about at the moment. And then they drop off a cliff and I'm like, okay, I gotta, oh, yeah. I gotta find somebody else to talk to about this who actually just I, cares. I, I will give Shannon, I will give Shannon credit. <laughs> like, you know, I, I'm always very interested in the things she's interested in. Cause I'm just, I'm just a naturally curious person. I just want to talk and learn and ask questions all the time mm-hmm. to the point where it's probably annoying. But mm. at the, at every day after there's a big UFC event that she knows I watch, she summons the courage, the energy, the discipline and the lovely wife to say, how are the fights? And every time I'm like, oh, thank you. Okay, so here's what happened. And I and I go and I see her <laughs> she, her face. You like, see the life force just drain she's, 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 out of her. Like, mm-hmm, why did mm-hmm. I ask this? <laughs> okay, now which one is that? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Mm. Yep. Yep. You know, but she still asks. And I, and I really, really appreciate that. Yeah. That is really cool. I think Rachel's beyond the point of asking me because she knows I'm going to tell her anyway. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> most of the time i don't even get the in i'm just like i come in i'm like rachel let me tell you about what i'm doing and i just i just go right in whatever yes. probably rude on my part but anyway um let's see here yes snow rain lots of mud i found that i need to do some french drainage on parts of my property i basically found so like my driveway is kind of curved like i've got like a turnaround point in my driveway and i was out one night and we had heavy rain so i was actually able to observe like the flow of water as it was Ah. draining. And I found that there's probably a good quarter acre of land that is all flowing to this one point that goes right beside our garage. And I'm like, now I understand why I can't grow any grass on this hill and it's constantly Mm. muddy because every time it rains, there's like a torrential waterfall of water just flowing like a river. And I've never seen it like that before. And I was like, okay, I think I probably need to address this. So that's fun. That's a project that's in my sights now. And then I came in and told Rachel about it and she's like, I don't care about French (laughs) I don't need grass on that hill anyway. (laughs) But she appreciates that I know this stuff and do it. Um, yeah. And then just like end of the year stuff, you know, we've been thinking about Google pens and what videos have done well, what haven't, you know, it's been a whole year of COVID kind of, again, lots of remote shooting, who knows when we're going to be back in the office shooting together again. So just kind of reflecting and thinking like, what is this coming year going to be? Not really having any clue, but you know, thinking about that. So we're definitely open to feedback on what kind of videos y'all like, think we'll keep the pencast thing going for a bit here 
um, because we're having fun with it, if nothing else. And uh, we're going to mix in a lot more of the the videos that we've been doing lately, some more intentionally planned. And and so we're tweaking, getting better at those, but just really thinking about that as the year is kind of coming to an end and we're thinking about the year ahead. So lots of strategic planning kind of stuff on my mind. And that's pretty much my personal situation. My family's had a lot going on in general. Not going to get into any details, but that has consumed quite a bit of time and energy, um, like extended family and stuff, as well as immediate. So, you know, just been doing that. You know, again, that's all like personal stuff. So I don't want to get into that without people being okay with us sharing it with thousands of people. But trust me, there's just a lot going on. So, yeah, but it's all good. Here we are, 2022. How about that? All right. Well, and and almost 30 episodes into a, a show that we didn't plan on doing at the beginning of 2021. Yeah, I guess not, huh? We kind of just like dreamt this up. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> How about that? That's a good point. I didn't really think of, I had no concept of time. At the beginning of 2021, we did not plan on, hey, you know what we're going to do is, this year? Let's start a weekly show. That is very true. We had no idea what was going to happen, <laughs> no. what was going on. And you could argue that we still have no idea what's going on. I think that could be said. Uh, all right. We have That's our personal lives. Moving, moving on to our company updates. Um, so we've got, uh, obviously, Omicron is kind of all over the place. It's really kicked up in the last several weeks across the U.S. Definitely, you don't say. Definitely in Virginia. Yeah. I mean, kind of. Here you go. Firsthand, right? Um, you know, thankfully, we have good procedures in our building and all that. We did recently change some of our masks so that we're we're having K9, K9, N95 or N95 masks just to help because masking and distance seems to be the big thing that can actually help. So we've had that going continuously, but now like the quality of the masks that we're getting is even better. So yay. I mean, none of this is fun, but we're all kind of in it. So I've, I've spent just a tremendous amount of my own time dealing with all that. It wasn't just you, Drew, but like a lot of people, especially around the holidays, lots of people seeing other people going to gatherings. And so, I mean, everybody's been in this so long. They're kind of like, okay, we're just kind of living with this. At some point we have to still actually have a life. So we have to learn how to kind of live with this kind of thing. But then like so many people had potential exposures and all these other things where it was like, oh my gosh, okay, yes, it just happened really suddenly. So there's a lot of that that we're kind of dealing with. Thankfully, you know, all is well and safe in our building. And, you know, those who did have situations are, are recovered and stuff like that. But still, it's like it's still a very present, very disruptive part of what's going on. And so we're just mad props to our team, especially the ones who are in the building every day, getting y'all's orders out, receiving all that kind of stuff. So many disruptions, not just on the health front with all these other things as stuff's unfolding and we're still navigating all of the, you know, ever present changing stuff with Delta and Omicron and all these variants and who knows what's on the horizon. But, um, you know, everybody still really cares a lot they still want to do right by you all and largely we are getting done what we need to get done so not without our disruptions but i'm still super proud of our team they're doing great um and i think it's also worth worth mentioning real quick that you know i don't think anybody envies you or any other small business owner for having to go through the staffing challenges that this is creating like mm -hmm. we're already dealing with you know staff shortages in the world and omicron has you know obviously introduced a whole nother variable yeah but you know any anybody out there who is, has either been impacted by this or is in a management situation either you know a, a general manager or if you're in retail or food service 
I'm sorry. We appreciate you. You know, yeah. just keep on keep on doing what you're doing. You know, we we're also in a small business. We understand the challenges, but it's different for everybody. But it is tough. It, it's it's yeah, because yeah, it's it's rough. Everybody's been in this for so long. I mean, here we are going on two years of this now with it, some pretty serious disruptions. Um, and you know, I feel kind of bad because like it's really stressful. I care about all of our team. I care about our family, friends. But it's like everybody in our, especially our local area, a lot of that's kicked up, and so it's like everybody's talking about it you know the auto mechanic the literally grocery store clerks it's in conversation everywhere you know and just i'm having to read articles i'm having to talk to all of our teams and individuals and work all these crazy things out as stuff changes pretty constantly so you know yes it's not like yay i get to wake up and (laughs) make make tough decisions based on limited information with big consequences yay but i mean that's leadership but also you know, it's, uh, I feel kind of bad because it's like, there's other stuff that I want to do. I have ideas. I have, you know, things, cool, fun things. But like, sometimes it's either like the day runs out and I'm like, what did I even do today? I just read a bunch of stuff and talked about things that are (laughs) totally uncertain. And I don't know, you know, what value did I add today? Some of that just happens with parenting and leadership and stuff in general. But, you know, it's like, yeah, I would love to pound out more videos or I'd love to pick up new products or design new things. I'm like, I just don't have any gas in the tank, you know, after dealing with that. And then you throw like a major ice storm. I mean, we're three days into this ice storm that we've had. We still have two team members that are stranded. They can't, they have no power and they cannot leave where they are because the traffic is so bad on the highway. They literally can't leave. Like they, we have one team member who's out of the, the city and literally can't travel back. And we have somebody else who like had a like power lines, like live power lines and huge trees like fall across the entrance to their neighborhood. So they cannot get out of their neighborhood and they have no power. So it's like that is happening on top of everything else. It's just like, ah, this is kind of crazy. Yeah. So as long as things seem as minimally disruptive as possible to you all, our customers as possible, great. And as long as everybody's safe, as long as we are still able to get done the most important things that we're able to get done, cool. But wow, is it crazy times. And it's like, man, welcome 2022. Here we are just right out the gate. Big old ice storm, like biggest we've had in a long time. You're welcome. But uh, we, we know that <laughs> a lot of you out there are in very similar boats. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we're with you. We appreciate you. And, you know, we're thankful for all that you do. That's right. And we'll, we'll, we'll keep on doing our thing if you'll keep doing your thing. How about that? There you go. There you go. All right, Drew, let's get this thing wrapped up. What is on your desk, Drew? Do you have any Cob- co- cobwebs? Because this is the first day I've been in the office for uh, two and a half weeks. I was going to say you had a, um, you had the Blue Lamy All Star on your desk that we used, and in I the didn't last even know cast. why. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, for real though, uh, n- nothing uh, really. I did get an interesting opportunity to. Uh, I ran out of here as soon as um, I found out that my wife tested positive. Uh, so I, I grabbed a bunch of stuff, but um, didn't grab everything. Didn't write with fountain pens like at all. Like I didn't have hardly any uh, opportunity to write or any fountain pens to write with. So mm. they stayed here. So I started writing with them, and because I had my three fountain pens here, <clears throat> and the Twisby ALR in uh, Prussian blue wrote immediately. Two and a half weeks of no use perfect writing the e95s perfect the edison ascent took a little bit to get going but then wrote perfect and then i was like you know what is else is over here i don't know when we did the preppy pen of the week brian but Mm. it was probably 
over a month. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I wonder. This thing wrote immediately mm-hmm. with zero hard starts, yep. zero skip. It was flawless. So when we reviewed this, I said I thought it was a little toothy. wasn't my favorite thing. I said I'd rather have a varsity. I got I to gotta say, the, the value you get with this spring-loaded cap, that, that's amazing. That that really is amazing, and this is you know riding with the uh, you know the standard black cartridge that it came with. So this impressed me, man. Yeah. Um, but then, in, uh, as far as my other pens go, I think it's ready for. I'm, I'm ready to completely change out my inks. I want to go with a more seasonal approach. So I'm thinking either I'll try some of the inks that came in the 2021 Diamine Ink Event calendar, or I'll go back and use some samples from the Blue Edition series from Diamine that was um, pulled from the original 2019 ink event calendar so i want to do a you know like winter miracle jack frost noel um all those that the um um not was it not evergreen the, the pine tree sounding one whatever that was um so i don't know i want to do some like wintry inks so gonna do that this week mm. but so that will be what's on my desk soon but still getting back into the swing of things right now very cool all right. Uh, what's on my desk? I got a bunch of junk on there. It's kind of a mess. You know, we had some family come down. Rachel's parents came down for, for Christmas time. So I don't know how you feel when you have guests come. And they're not even, they're not like nitpicking what our house looks like or anything like that. Because at this point, they know what they're getting. But just me personally, I'm like, oh, all the crap that I have everywhere. Like there's just going to be more people around. We need more surfaces available for everybody else's stuff. So it's like, all right my personal desk you're gonna get all the junk that i have left all over the rest of the downstairs of the house and it's all getting piled up on you so now i have this just gigantic mess of stuff oh. there. plus i've had all these computer issues so i have the computer there with all these other hard drives and other things that i need to back up and make sure i have all these things because i'm probably gonna have to send my computer in and it's gonna get wiped and had parts replaced and stuff like that so it's i'm dealing with all that so i have it's kind of a rat's nest over there so my actual pen usage has been more limited because I've just been dealing with other junk. But, you know, I uh, I kind of want to get back into it a little bit more because I did I did do some because I've had some like doctor's appointments and other things. And so I've brought stuff with me and been able to write with it, but not like sit down and write and like, a, let me actually experience this writing. But it's more like, okay, I need a pen. Like what has ink in it? Let me grab it. Where did I put that? Oh, wait, that bin is over there that has the pen, you know, and it's like, that's the state I've been in for several weeks now. Um, so I'm just looking forward to getting back to a state where, you know, well, you have guests and it's like, there's all this extra work because it's like, oh, I got to get the guest bed ready. I got to do this and the laundry and towels and all this other, it's all this other stuff you got to do. And then everybody leaves and you're like, oh, I'm really tired. But you know, we're kind of just like back to normal now. Like just a bunch of things, yeah. like a bunch of memories were made. Great. And we have pictures and all that kind of stuff. But then it's like, you know, time is just sort of passed and it's like, okay, now I have to go and <laughs> clean up and do all these other projects that i needed to do but yeah that's, uh, that's why i want to do the new inks i want to get just like excited jazzed up about writing this week yeah yeah i will not be able to do that because my life is still just nuts but i'm <laughs> i'm still i'm just going to appreciate the precious moments that i get with the pens that i write because it's ever present on my mind but i'm a human just like everybody else and sometimes life demands more of you and even the very enjoyable things that you like to do you have to set aside so that you can do other things for other people and i'm just very much in that state right now so 
while I'm not in a state where I can sit down and just really take the pleasure in on my pens, the desire is still there. And so I know it will always be there for me when life settles down just a little bit and I will cherish the moments that I do get with them. And on that note, I think that's going to land the plane for us today, Drew. So there's episode number 28 for you all. Thank you so much for watching this extended version as we wanted to make up time. We intended to shoot an extra pencast in here and, uh, now you know why we couldn't, because it's basically all. I was at home. I did bring all, all my. Fault. Yeah, I did bring all my stuff home with the intention we of did, shooting it. But we realized. But uh, we realized that I had a his, his internet. I had a internet connection was so slow. Sorry, I totally interrupted you, but garbage. Um, yeah, yeah, garbage connection. I also forgot my little. Uh, I, um, I think it would have taken something like thirty-five hours for you to upload the footage. Or yeah, like and that. I forgot my little dongle too. The thing that uh, I would need to plug the mic into the. Uh, yeah, so you gotta hang on to your dong- you gotta hang on to your dongle, Drew. You gotta keep I track forgot of that. my dongle, Brian. Yeah. That is actually so. what it's called, by the way. And any any attachment to your computer is called a dongle. Anyway, sounds funny. We didn't just make that up. It's an actual technical term. Anyway, we thank you all for watching. Please leave us some feedback in the comments. We clearly like it, and ask us questions that we can answer on future shows because we're gonna keep doing this thing. We're gonna be in a quasi regular format with un predictable disruptions thrown in there from time to time. Um, but you can also check out GoulaPens.com for all of your fountain pen ink and paper needs. Be sure to like and subscribe and comment and share on YouTube and Instagram and all the other places where we are. If you want to email us, especially if you're listening to the audio pen, pen, pen cast, podcast pencast, you can email us at pencast at GoulaPens.com and we will look at it from time to time. And I don't have a super duper duper timely topical random fact to share with you all, but I have a quote that I think (laughs) sums up how I'm feeling about, since you talked about all leadership stuff, I was like, oh yeah. Um, So the quote that I have is from Claire A. Murphy. It says, the problem with being a leader is that you're never sure if you're being followed or chased. And I think that... (laughs) That can feel a little too real sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but we got to keep it lighthearted. Anyway, we're having a good time. Starting out 2022, we're going to make lots of good videos for you all. And we're still just so grateful to be doing what we're doing. And anybody that's still watching this two hours in, y'all are the champions. You're the turkey hammock people. You're the turkey, you're the turkey hammock people. So we got to say, you're ending on a biscuit. That's what I'm saying. Right now, <laughs> yes. Right now you're ending on a biscuit. <laughs> anyway, thanks everybody. We will see you on the next one. Right on. Ending on a biscuit.